Well, it's good to see you all, and uh, as Chad mentioned, we're talking about, you know, just a light topic this morning, fear, you know, and, uh, and it's, it's fitting because really, uh, especially on a holiday uh, weekend, really your, your fear as a pastor, is this the Sunday that nobody comes to church? And, uh, and so thank you for uh, proving that fear uh, to be false this morning. And uh, grateful uh, to be in your house. Isn't it interesting the things that we choose to celebrate as a, as a nation? Like, what what is Labor Day? I was looking it up, and it's just the celebration of the American workers. So for all of you who work, feel celebrated this weekend. So, well, diving in uh, to uh, uh, last week in our book of Psalms, we're in Psalm 27. You can start turning your Bibles there uh, now. It's one of the ways that we... Um, work through these texts together as if you're looking at the same thing I am would be fantastic. Uh, the topic of fear is a, a pretty uh, relevant one, and that's what I love about Scripture, how it speaks to things that are so uh, real, even hundreds of years later uh, in our, our life. Fear, I appreciate the explanation of fear that I found in a book on the subject by James McDonald. This definition, I think, fits. Fear is a painful emotion marked by alarm. So emotion marked by alarm. It's, it is anxiety related to impending hardship, a dread of an undesired encounter with a person or circumstance. Undesired encounter with a person or a circumstance. Maybe that's something that you're in the middle of right now. Maybe that's something you have had. Fear is one of those things, as you know, that creeps up out of nowhere. It's typically forecasting the future. So it's not a, an exact science, right? You're forecasting what you think might happen. It leads me to think of really what I think is a, probably one of the best jobs out there is being a weatherman. Seriously, like what other job can you have where you can be wrong 80% of the t- time and still stay employed and say, you know, when somebody gives you a hard time, you're like, well, what do you expect? I'm predicting the weather. You see, out here in, the, in this coast, it's a lot easier to do than in the Midwest. We'd always tease how little they knew about predicting rain. Anyway, this idea is predicting the future, and really, if you think about it, fear is all about the future because we're not afraid of the past. It's already happened. You're not afraid of the present. You might be upset about the present, but you're not fearful of it because you're in the middle of it. Fear is typically related to things that may happen in the future. And it's unfortunately, it's one of those things that cripples so many. The outcome of fear is so miserable in so many people's life, leaving them not at all where God intended them to be. Really, fear falls into two categories, I would suggest. Fear of loss and fear of pain. Fear of loss, whether it's fear of losing someone you care about, that's a, a miserable idea, whether a spouse, kids, or dear friend. For me, the idea of losing a child is probably one of the worst ideas. Fear of losing possessions. Possession, something that you've worked so hard to build up. Fear of losing a, a house, a car. You see all of these new shots of people losing really all they've built up to acquire over the years in Texas. Fear of losing position. For the, some of us, that's part of our reality, working at a, a job that you're really not sure if you're going to stay employed. Some of us are in the middle of that even in this season, and if this sermon doesn't go well uh, for me, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, fear fear of, of pain, 
is the second one, a category, if you will, fear of the idea of physical pain or emotional pain. Those are things we try to avoid as best as we can. And you see, those things can sneak up on you like, a, like uh, out of nowhere. You can be just kind of cruising along in life, and all of a sudden you're like, man, where did this kind of cloud of fear come from? But it's a reality that I would suggest all of us work through and have to figure out how to respond to on a regular basis. A couple questions for us to wrestle through whether or not you're kind of currently in a season of uh, enveloped in fear. I like these different uh, thoughts here. The signs you're living in fear, you have a, a tendency to focus primarily on the negative. Anybody attest to that? You're like, oh, I, I tend to always, my mind always goes to the, the negative. Or, or the second one, you tend to enlarge the enemy. I don't mean necessarily a person, but whatever it is, the obstacle you're facing, your mind tends to enlarge that as if how in the world could you ever overcome that? Another sign you see it there is fear is engaged, where in other words, what I mean by that is you allow your mind to constantly think about something you're fearful of. You, you allow your mind to, to, to run that direction regardless of what you might know to be true. Your mind tends to run that way. And these are all things that cripple us. And the interesting thing is, is fear, as Chad mentioned earlier, is not something that's supposed to have any part in a Christ follower's life. Because at the root of fear, what is at the root of fear? The root of fear is distrust. The root of fear is distrust, saying, I don't know if I can trust that God has my best interest in mind. I don't know if I can trust that he's going to rescue me from this. I don't know if I can trust him with the outcome of this situation. You see, God called us to a life not of, of distrust, but a life of trust. And fear, as we're told all over the place, has no part in the believer's life. Romans 8.15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery, to fall back into fear, not supposed to be part of the life of a believer. So what do we do to combat that? How do we respond? I would suggest this morning we're going to hear from David in Psalm 27, a man who's definitely qualified to speak on fear. But before we dive into the literal text we're reading from, let me just pray for our time. God, thank you so much for this chance to be in your house and a chance to celebrate you so beautifully already through song, God. It's interesting how even that, God, is a chance to kind of redirect our thought process to worship and fear don't seem to get along very well. Pray that you teach us through this text that we'd not be somebody that already has it all figured out, that we'd have a teachable spirit and your spirit would be present and active in this room even now as we talk through this. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So as I mentioned, David definitely qualified to talk about this because why? David, if you'd look at his life, had a lot to potentially be afraid of, right? Can you imagine, like when we talk about like being afraid or fearful of an enemy, we might be talking about like a, another um, mom on the soccer field as the enemy, or we might be talking about like a, somebody we don't like in the school line or, or whatever, but when he's talking about enemies, he's talking about literally people with the intent of killing you. Does anybody have that in your life right now? Anybody have somebody that you're like, man, if they had a chance, they would kill me. Uh, maybe you're sitting next to them right now. Uh, 
But, but this, this picture, this idea that he, he got it. He, he understood the potential for fear because, man, can you imagine if your next walk to Starbucks, you're like, well, I don't know. I might get an arrow to the head on the way in. I don't, I don't know how that's going to end up. No, like that, that was the life that he lived with his in constant fear or the potential of pending harm and that's like I mentioned earlier one of the things that we fear is potential harm in our life he's definitely qualified I don't know if you have anything like that but he had a weight that was pretty steady but you see in verse one how he chooses to respond to pending fear look at the words that he chooses to go words of worship he says the Lord is my light and my salvation whom shall I fear The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, gross, my adversaries and foes, it is they who will stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident." Love this picture of how he's choosing to respond to outside potential harm. He chooses to go the route of celebrating or magnifying God. If you've ever monkeyed around with a magnifying, uh, or magnifying, what do they call those? Uh, glass. Thank you. I appreciate that. First, first time with my new mouth. Um, and so, uh, so magnifying glass, if you think, like, what does a magnifying glass do? It's, it's not creating something that's not there. A magnifying glass does one simple thing. It magnifies what's already there. And, and really, I would suggest when we're dealing with fear, one of the greatest tools we have is the ability to magnify what's already there, a God who's greater than our fear. You know, that might sound kind of anecdotal, but if you think about it, isn't that what we're, we're, we're doing? We need to sprinkle some logic on our situation. Look at what he does. He says, if I'm being backed by God, who would it make sense for me to be afraid of? Don't, don't we have that, that we could speak to really any situation that we're in, in the middle of? If I'm being supported and backed by almighty creator of the universe, the one that speaks things into existence, the one who knows all, past, present, future, you're like, that, that's a good person to have your back. I'm not real smart, but I know that. But some of us could impose that on to the thing that we're afraid of, and it would drastically change our perspective. All of a sudden, on the other side of that perspective, what does he say that he is? He says, because of that, I'm confident. Confidence. We can have confidence in the middle of our fear with that childlike grasp of Almighty God. I love he uses the word stronghold. It it reminds me, anybody when you're younger playing the game of tag, did you ever have a home base that you're safe with? That's the idea of a stronghold. The stronghold is a picture of a, a place where you can't be touched. I remember playing with uh, friends, and you they'd, they'd come and try to tag you and be like, no, no, I'm, I'm on base. Uh, 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 you can't get me. Uh, am I the only play, person that played tag? You're like, staring at people blankly here. This, uh, this, I, this idea he's saying is, is stronghold. It's like, man, I, God is my stronghold, and because of that, I have complete confidence. Man, I don't know what got him to that perspective, 
Maybe it was God's faithfulness in defeating bears and lions and a giant. I don't know. Maybe that had something to do with a track record of God's faithfulness. And because of that, he has complete and utter confidence. I think it's interesting, too, that in whether we don't know exactly in this text whether this is when he's fleeing Absalom or whether it's when he's fleeing Saul. Either way, someone's coming after him. You get that idea? E- either way, both of those scenarios, he had a huge military support in the middle of that. He had some legit soldiers that were there fighting the battle with him. And I think it's interesting because, uh, like, you think of those soldiers, they're listening into his prayer, and they're like, what about his confidence in us? Like, we're, we're here to protect you, David. He's like, uh-uh, not these knuckleheads. I'm, my, I trust is solely in the Lord. And, man, that's where the secret is, not in what someone else is going to do for you, but in the one that can alter circumstances in a moment is where he's placed his trust. Because of that, he intentionally seeks the Lord. Look at verse 4. One thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Interesting words there. If you, I don't know if you've ever been given a a platitude of some sort that really wasn't very helpful? Anybody given some words from somebody that you're like, how's that even relevant? I jotted down a few I've heard over theirs. Just keep on keeping on. Anybody ever have somebody tell you that? How, How about this one? Keep your chin. What does that have to do with anything? What's my chin have to do with my tragedy? You know, like, a, what, what, does that, what does that mean? What are some other ones we've heard? This, this too shall. Yes, we've all heard that one. How about never given more than. That's a bunch of crud. We're often given way more than we can handle. That's what brings us to our knees and calling out to Almighty God. And at first glance, you might read this and be like, is he just saying just. Seek the Lord? Is that just like another platitude? Like, oh yeah, everything's going to be all right if you seek the Lord. No, he's not using that as just a a pretend antidote. This is coming from somebody that's lived a lifestyle of seeking the Lord. Somebody that's found fruit from their efforts. Somebody that all of a sudden uses terms like this that says, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Kind of feels like the ABF staff lately, but it really is not talking about just being at church all the time. He's talking about to be in a constant state of recognition of God's presence, constantly being aware, constantly being tapping into that resource. I love, he says, one thing I have asked. He's not saying one thing I've asked was to be rescued from my enemies. He's not saying that. The one thing he wants in the middle of his turmoil and strife is this just i want i want his presence i want to sense his presence i want i want to know that he's there i want to i want to sense that he's going through this with me because when you start to get into the thick of it you realize that man it's not so much about our circumstances it's more about who you're going through those circumstances with right you say man if i have god i don't even care what happens to me if I have his presence, then all of these things are for naught. What's the point of all this if I have his presence? He got that. He understood that, that little shift that's so healthy to happen in our life. 
He points to the, a term, he says, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Usually, beauty is a term we use for someone attractive or beauty pageant. I love that he had such an intimacy with God. He's like, man, I, I see his beauty in everything. And the way that we start to see that, we don't typically stumble upon that. He's saying that, that happens when you seek for it. When you seek, seek is such a consistent theme in scripture, seeking the Lord. I was reading about it this week. It's used 313 times in scripture. That's a lot of times. 313 times we're told to, or it refers to seeking the Lord. wanted to read a couple just found in the Psalms, Psalms 9:10. You, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Psalms 14, 2, the, the Lord looks down, listen to this. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. Psalm 34.10, the young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Splashed all over the pages. Psalm 40.16, but may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. Last one, Psalm 105.3, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. See, seeking is intended to be part of our experience with God. Rarely, if ever, do you hear somebody say, you know what? I just feel like my relationship with the Lord got so much better. I don't know what happened. I just kind of stumbled upon it. No, it's usually on the other side of some sort of effort, right? It's usually some kind of a divine human partnership where we intentionally seek him and he reveals himself more and more to us. It's not something you stumble upon. And I asked the question this morning, how are you doing with seeking the Lord? Do you have a routine that allows for that? Do you carve out time in your schedule where that can occur? Is there any kind of, if we're honest with our heart of hearts, is there anything that we're doing to seek the Lord in a typical day? What does that look like? Like what uh, a quote that I've heard uh, before just about seeking the, seeking the Lord by, uh, let me find that. A, a quote that I heard by John Maxwell, he says this, he says, you will never change your life unless you change something you do every day. The secret to success is in our daily routine. You'll never change your life unless you change what you're doing on a daily basis. And so my question for you is, are we following David's example and intentionally seeking the Lord? I believe that's one of the ways or tools against overcoming fear. Next thing, verse 5, is to confidently verbalize your faith. Look what I mean by that here. It says, For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. You see, sometimes we have to talk to ourselves to overcome our fear. Anybody do that a little bit? Anybody have some uh, self-conversations? Or am I the only one that does that? You guys leave me hanging a lot up here. But uh, the, the, this, uh, this idea, I was talking uh, some years back, um, 
my wife and I worked and actually met at Willow Creek Community Church, a larger church in Chicago, and uh, we're working there and uh, got, to, got to know uh, the Ortbergs a little bit. John Ortberg's a kind of a well-known uh, communicator. It's interesting, he was telling us the story. Uh, he speaks in front of thousands of people on a regular basis, but he's telling me when he was first getting out of seminary, his first job as a pastor he says, he says, I was so nervous to go up and, and start talking. You know, it's kind of scary to talk to people. Does anybody else feel that with public speaking? Uh, you're scary. Uh, and and so, so he says the first time he went up, he, he stands up there behind the, the pulpit, opens his Bible, looks out to the audience, and passes out cold. I was like, oh, that's awesome. I mean, that, I'm so sorry that happened. And, uh, and, and so, uh, so I was like, man, that, that makes me feel good about John Orper. And he goes, he goes, and then he goes, guess what happened the next week? He said the next week, attendance went up significantly at the church. Because <laughs> everybody's like, I want to see, see what happens with this crazy new pastor again. And so he goes up, gets on stage, opens his Bible up, starts to talk, bam passes out again two weeks straight I was like that is like the best story ever and uh and and, and you know what he, what he was saying is what he had to do in similar things that I try to do even in my own mind is you have to revisit your calling he's like you know what it's not about me I'm just the messenger it's the one that's called me to deliver this messenger you see as pastors that's the pep talk we give often to ourselves it's it's clearly not about me and so so my question for us is what pep talk do you give yourself what lies do you need to confront in your mind which 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 things do you need to dispel which things do you need to correct the confidently verbalizing his faith Look at all the things that he says there. It's, it's very little, it's nothing to do. You don't hear him say anything about, I can do this, or I will do this. It's no, it's no such thing as because you're good enough, smart enough, or doggone it, people like you. Like, none of that jive. It's strictly, listen to his terms, he will hide me. He will conceal me. He will lift me high upon a rock. He will lift me up. You see, the word he is consistently used to describe what's going to happen. He's looking to the future. Do you see this? What was fear doing again? Fear's looking at the future from a negative lens. What's he saying? Hey, I'm looking at the future of what God is going to do. I believe, I'm verbalizing it. It hasn't happened yet, but I know exactly. And it's interesting to see what part David plays in it. All these things that God's gonna do. Look in the, in the text, it says, and now my head shall be lifted up upon my enemies all around me, and I will offer, this is his part, I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. So if you didn't catch that, look at the, the role here. God does all the work, and we sing about it later. That's what David is saying. He's, like, he's saying, what, what, God's going to do this, 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 and guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to talk about how awesome it is. I'm going I'm to sing with joy. Understanding our part in all this is a powerful way of overcoming fear. When you start to realize how little any of this has to do with us, anybody as you get older start to recognize that more and more, it's kind of some freedom in that. I think David, that clicked in his head as he, he starts looking across the landscape of his life and he starts seeing like, 
oh, God was reigning over that. He was reigning over that. He had control of that. Oh, that was, I was fearful for no reason there, and I was fearful. And, you know, and, and he starts to see the bigger, the, the bigger picture, and I love that he chooses to, to confidently to, to verbalize for us to say, you know what, in our conversations as you're talking to your friend about the circumstances that you're in, you're just like, man, what if you started to say, you know what, I know this looks grim, but I know God's got a plan. I know he's going to rescue me because he always does. What would that do to your fear? You see, fear and confidence can't really coexist very well, right? They, they, don't, they don't work. They don't play nicely together. He confidently verbalizes his faith. See, lastly, actually two little more sections here. Keeping, coming back to the Lord in prayer, I like to see the humanity of David here. It says this in verse 7, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, or you who have been, have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I'm going to stop there. I know that's a lot to absorb that little section. But what you notice in that section is a little bit of a change in tone. You went all of a sudden from God's going to do this, he's going to do this, to do this, to all of a sudden a little bit of his humanity. Uh, God, don't, don't, don't leave me. Don't abandon. You, you told me to seek, me, seek you. I, I, I sought you. Uh, uh, don't hide your face from me. Uh, don't leave me now. This is a really bad time. You see, what I love about this is the reminder for us that overcoming fear is a process not a one-time event. Did you catch that? It's a process, not a one-time event. It's not like you'll ever get to the place where you're like, all right, I beat fear. No more. It's never happening again. Are you kidding me? Like, no, fear has its way to sneak back in when we least expect it. And what he's doing there is bringing it back to the Lord in prayer. Say, man, God, please don't abandon me. Don't leave me. Don't turn your face. You said to, and I love the boldness that in his confidence. He says, you said to seek me. I'm doing that. So don't hide your face. He says, everybody else has abandoned me. We don't, we don't know exactly what the whole parent thing is. We don't know if that's hypothetical or, or what it is. But either way, you can sense in his tone there a sense of desperation, a sense of God, man, I, I, I need you right now. And for us to grant ourselves permission to have that kind of relationship with God. Say, God, I don't, I, don't, I don't sense you right now. I don't, I don't know what you're doing in that situation. You're not going to hurt his feelings. You're, you're, you're not going to scar him because of that. You, it's okay to cry out to God when we don't get it. Giving ourselves permission to keep coming back to him. And that's the key, though. Because so often our, our fears are our crossroads, whether or not we're going to shake our fist at God or whether we're going to humbly come to it. And I, I love, even at the beginning, he says, he says, be gracious to me and answer me. He, he's not saying that God owes him something. He's coming humbly. He's saying, I love it as a king, too, that he's saying, teach me. 
teach me. Because often when we're given more authority and responsibility, the, the level of need seems to go down and we're, we're like, oh, I got this covered. And see, what he's saying is like, as king, as king, man, I, I, I'm desperate for you. For you as king of your little kingdom, are you desperate for him? Do you come back to him in prayer or do you try to resolve things on your own? See, the danger of trying to resolve things on your own is because the more you start to think you have results from that, you grow in self-confidence, right? And you're like, oh, I can do this. I've, I've done that. And you start to believe the myth that you had anything to do with fixing your situation, right? Start to believe that lie that God wasn't intertwined with it anyway. Points out, he's like, hey, listen, my, my enemies, verse 12, he says, my enemies are still coming. In case you hadn't noticed, God, they're still there. Uh, th- things are still there. And now they're not just trying to harm me physically. Now they're speaking poorly about me. This, this, things are really bad. But I love that he's choosing to come. And I love the, the corner that he turns in verse 13. Look down at what you see there. It says, even in the middle of his doubt, even in the middle of the enemy still coming, he says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So tell himself that a couple times, right? I don't know what it is that keeps us going back to watch all these superhero movies. Does anybody enjoy a good superhero movie, right? I, uh, I found it funny. This was a, a t-shirt I saw of a couple superheroes gathering around Jesus, and that's how I saved the world. And so um, you'll get that maybe later. Uh, but uh, but w- what I think brings us back to the superhero thing is not because we wonder whether or not they're going to save the world, right? Does anybody go into one of those movies and be like, man, I wonder if this is going to be the one that everybody dies in? Like, No. It's not whether or not they're going to rescue. Why do we go back? Because how's he going to do it this time? How's Iron Man and his cocky self going to solve this one? Like, how, how's Spider-Man going to... You know what I'm saying. Like, we go back because we're interested to see how. How's it going to happen? And I would suggest if that was our mindset against the different challenges that we have in our day and our life, or if we had kind of an anticipation like, man, I, I wonder how he's going to do it. Look what he says. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I believe I'm going to see it on this side of the grave. I believe I'm going to see his rescue. But then he, what does he do? He tells himself, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Again, he says, wait for the Lord. That's the hard part, right? The hard part is the waiting. You're just like, oh man, when, when's he going to do it? I'm confident he's going to do it, but I don't know how. And the, the wonderful thing is, is that when you start to see things from the bigger picture, you start to see, well, th- this rescue may come on this side of the grave. It may come on the other side of the grave. Either way, the rescue is coming. Either way, the rescue is coming. He, I don't know what he saw as far as the bigger picture. You get a glimpse in other, in other sections of the Psalms that he understood that. But either way, when we start to see, man, it's just a waiting game. God is going to rescue us. It's just a question as to how he's going to do it if we've embraced Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Man, we have zero, zero to fear, absolutely nothing. I think that he gives us some good tools here 
for us to apply in our own life as fear starts to sneak in. Look at, back at him just briefly with me. He says, first thing he does is he appropriately magnifies God. Remember, he puts the spotlight on him and how awesome he is. He intentionally seeks the Lord. He wants his presence, not just his deliverance. He confidently verbalizes what he believes. I think some of us need to have that own self-conversation with ourselves a little more often. He keeps coming back to the Lord in prayer. And then also he reminds himself that, ah, oh, I just got to wait because he's going to rescue. These are some lessons we can learn from David just in somebody that knows a little bit about dealing with fear, right? Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for this text, and I'm not foolish enough to stand up here and think that this is some kind of a fix-all antidote message, that some fears that people are holding on to this morning are, are substantial. Some of the weights are, are huge. Some of the questions are begging to be answered, God, but I thank you that you promised to meet us even in the middle of that. That you give us permission like David did to come authentically before you and say, God, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know why you allowed this. But I thank you even from what we celebrated earlier as Chad pointed out, as communion, as the antidote for our fear is found in Jesus Christ. When you start thinking through the very worst possible scenario, that being maybe death in our own minds, that you even provide the antidote for that through a saving relationship, through embracing what you did on the cross. And we praise you for that this morning. I pray specifically that you would meet people exactly where they're at as it relates to this topic. God, I can talk about it all day long, but unless your spirit meets people where they're at, God, it's kind of a pointless thing. And so we ask that your holy Spirit, be present and active and meeting people, helping them overcome their fear, washing them, cleansing them, reminding them of how great you are. We ask for that in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.